Welcome to Writer's Radio, broadcasting the beautiful, fanciful, and engaging work of talented writers from our neighborhood and yours. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ingrid Rose, and you're listening to Writer's Radio, an online radio that deals with everything writerly. I'm thrilled to have Kathy Borry on Zoom from her home in North Vancouver to talk with. We're going to hear shortly an excerpt from her new poetry manuscript, The Origin of Other a grim of poems. Hmm. It sounds like a horror movie. Anyway, it sounds very appropriate for these days. So Kathy Bory, welcome. Thank you, Ingrid. I'm so happy to be here. I've known you for a long time and hold you in esteem. And I'm happy to be part of your new wonderful and imaginative project. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Before we have you read, Kathy, let me introduce you to our listeners. And let's have a little discussion after that about your new manuscript. So Kathy Borry is author of a truly wonderful poetic memoir of her relationship and extraordinary exchanges with her beloved mother who had Alzheimer's. Now, Kathy, I know you took care of your mother during, was it the last seven years of her life? Yes, that's right, Ingrid, yes. Yes, and looking at the careers you've had, what better person to fulfill that not always easy role? So, you've been an actor, nurse, lawyer, public health worker, this bit I really loved, ballroom dancer, mm, small business owner, wife, but I'm sure it was a part-time career, (laughs) writer and caregiver. And so my first question for you, when did you begin to take your writing seriously? Well, it's an excellent question. I I believe, as many people probably do, dream of being a writer. I even thought of it as a child and dabbled lightly, very lightly. Um, And then it wasn't really until my mother uh, started to have cognitive changes and needed some more assistance that I started to write little vignettes about what was going on and how I was feeling and trying to describe the situation. And it really wasn't until then that I actually put pen to paper or pencil to paper as it was. And so I was in my late forties, Ingrid, before I really got into it. I had taken a course quite a long time ago, probably 15 or 20 years, or it's actually more than that, from um, Natalie Goldberg, Writing Down the Bones, a fast writing, slow walking, uh, one week class at Hollyhock Farm and fell in love with it, but nothing came of that. I I didn't, didn't even try. So really it was my mom's experience that gave me the a blank canvas. If, I don't believe I would have really 
progressed with my desire to write or even thinking about writing had it not been for those years which provided an opportunity. That's wonderful, yes, yes. So that certainly gives courage to a lot of people who are not um, that young when they start to take their writing seriously. And I think that's also partly a question of time. I was wondering, with all those careers, when would you have had time to write? Well, I think if I had really wanted to, I would have. As I hear many people that make time with extremely busy lives. But my, I, I didn't have a voice. I couldn't see it. And I think I would have made time because if you're an organized person, as many people are, you just make time. And I am organized, but I had nothing to say. So uh, I had to wait till I had a lot of time. <laughs> yes, yes. So let's move to the work that you're going to be reading from and the origin of other, a grim of poems. And I found myself when I was looking at that, a grim of poems. I just loved it because if you, if you see it written, you will know immediately that it's about the brothers Grimm because it's Grimm with two ends. And I imagine quite a number of us were brought up reading those. And I do know through my own involvement with feminism that the, the original versions were considered too grim at the time, is my understanding, and they were changed. So what attracted you to these stories? Well, Ingrid, you know, at some level, I, I'm not even sure how it happened, but I had been, I believe what had happened was that I had submitted a poem, oh, an erasure poem to, uh, was it Event? Or oh, I'm, yes. I'm blanking. Or yes, yes who always, always used, yeah, they always used to do that. But that was years ago. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. Uh, and then later, I think I might have found another place to submit, and it was maybe a fairy tale event. And then Molly Peacock, whom all of your listeners will know, she her her publishing house, one of them, Brick Books, had done a call for people to send in a tribute to certain Canadian poets. And I picked Molly because she'd been very helpful to me in getting my uh, memoir published and referring me to agent, etc. So I thought, well, I'll do that. And then I, instead of wanting to just send notes of praise, I took her biography and off her website, printed it, and created a sculpted tribute to her in the form of a poem, extracting words and letters from the bio itself, uh, my only rule being in chronological order, which is often called an eraser or found poem. Those words don't really work for me, but I think of sculpting. And so I did that and, and I got great, great feedback on that. So then I got a little bit more excited and I, I kept uh, doing things like that. And then I thought, oh, I'm gonna do a project. And one of the fairy tales I had submitted for some event, I thought, oh, I just adore fairy tales because I love the imagination and the quirkier, the better. And so what I did is I found the original fairy tales that had been translated into English, not until 2015, 200 years after they were first published. The Grimm's brothers 
wrote their first edition in uh, first and second in 1815 and 1817. Then they went on to do a number, at least six or seven of further editions where they watered down the more frightening parts of their tales to reach a larger audience. So the first two editions were never translated into English by anyone until 2015, 200 years later by Professor Jack Zipes, who's world renowned uh, for his fairy tale and folk tale and German literature. He's a, a brilliant man. So I use his big heavy text of 156 tales. Okay, that's, that's serious work. I mean, I imagine it's a pretty heavy volume. <laughs> Right here. Here's Kathy showing it to me. Oh, well, it looks manageable. It's smaller than... It looks, it, it looks manageable. It looks, it looks like an academic text, which I'm very attracted to. It's oh, big, well, big I'm impressed. I'm really impressed. <laughs> so you talk about it as a feminist project, both in form and content. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. And it's interesting that I just loved the origin of other, because isn't this what we are basically faced with today? I mean, it couldn't be more timely. Yes. Yes, and it's interesting that you point that out because the origin of other is sculpted from the title page of the book, as is everything, but even the title is. So, so I, lo I love your use of the word sculpted because I'm thinking, and I don't know actually historically which came first, but I think think that it's probably from the art world where so many artists would take other works and reference it and they would do cut-ups. So collage, I think, was, you know, first visual before it was done with text. That's a very good point. It's, and it's very similar to something even like quilting where you take other fabric and make something new. Yes, and it really does feel this is very much the domain of women. Women and the presentation of women, it, my, if I think of fairy tales, and I have also you know, done work with Clarissa Pinkola Estes, you know, looking at these different stories, women have an interesting role in them. Everything yeah. from magical to being victims. Tell us just a little bit more of, I mean, did you take every poem, every story yeah. and make a poem out of them? Yes. You know, Ingrid, I started by doing every third poem because I thought this is an enormous project, uh, 156 tales. And I did every third and then, I showed it to a very close friend of mine in the States who's an English professor and a writer. And he said, this is really fascinating. Go back and do every tale. So then I went back and I did uh, the second and third and I, I did all 156 tales. And he was right. There, there would be no motivation to, to break them up. And I feel very good. It took two years, but it was nothing but a pleasure and, and very interesting. Clearly, you're not trying to create a synopsis of the story. That's correct. And what happens is, and if you look at someone like Annie Dillard, who wrote a whole uh, book called Mornings Like This, 
which are found poems. That's what she calls it, the whole book. And, and she describes at the beginning, as most people will who do this work, it has basically nothing to do with the original work. You, your brain just takes over in creating, like it would with any uh, piece of literature or writing or poetry writing. You just come, you, you just are creating as you go. So it has, even, even my poems, when I've been in touch with Professor Zipes over the last three years, and one day I said, do you recognize this poem just for fun? Well, he didn't, and, and that was good. I didn't want him to be able to, because it has nothing to do with the original text. You're, you're, you're bringing something out. It's like a sculpture. You have a piece of marble or, or, or clay, and you cut out, and you don't know what was there to begin with. Yes. And you don't need you don't need to know. Yes, I think that's true. And so someone, for example, who ne I don't think that my kids, for example, necessarily would know Grimm's fairy tales. I'm trying to think if I ever read any of them to them. I'm not sure that I did, because I think that the you know, they were born at the end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s. And I think there were still lots of issues with fairy stories and how they presented the roles of males and females. Yes, yes. And it's interesting because you bring up the, the point about it being a feminist project, and it is in form and content. But what was interesting, Ingrid, is I didn't set out to make a statement. I when I started of any, of any particular kind, but it lends itself when you have the princesses in their you know, long blonde hair and pretty dresses getting the, the raw end of the deal with the prince and all, you know, it just, it, it goes against my nature. And so what happened was immediately, intuitively, I would just turn things around. So it became very much you, nothing, you know, genders were switched, uh, or sexual orientation, politics, everything just got switched around. And, and it wasn't what we expected. And same with the old. And some, some, some of the poems stay, stay dark and sad about those subjects, but that's fine. Others become very strong. And maybe the princess, princes who want to be princesses, become princesses or maybe maybe the other way around it's all it's all it's all uh, highly imaginative it's funny because as you were saying those princesses with their long blonde curls i can see the images of you and i of, because we're zooming and we're both of us shorn princesses or, or princes would be princes <laughs> what a wonderful way to um set the stage for your reading. The Carnal Never Marry Entering the church, she immediately abandoned his resolution to choose her for his wife. Her laughter became very fond of her own aging's beautiful form and the carnal thoughts of the young at heart. Girls, 
Girls are neglected, treated badly, forced to cook and perform nasty work. Admirers stretch out hands and offer miracles. What a load. The Cloven Prayer For seven years, she set out into the world with nobody, praying that no one saw them and heard their sighs and moans. In the eighth year, she arrived at the home of forgotten names and prayed that she would be remembered. What she didn't pray for? God's mercy. A bridegroom. Matching socks. Sing the Long Journey Three daughters kiss three times three brothers so ferociously that trees tremble, birds scat, twelve dogs drool, and sadness is overcome by joy. But there's a price to pay, consequences to wake up beside, tomorrows to protect, and invitations to regret. Every seven years, one wedding split and cracked. Transformed, the wives flew around the world and never looked forward or back. At night, when their need is greatest, they ask the east wind to find them eleven princes strong enough to carry on for eleven nights without asking for a nice wedding or money or sleep. The bride of golden ploys kisses three wings so softly that little birds coo and murmur. Night tells secrets in bed, and God plays just in time in middle sea. Brothers, the elves want to be girls. The king refused. He loved sons and didn't know how to favor daughters. They flee into the night and pray for a blessing to shadow their doomed lives, then swear to live as maidens without mercy or mystery. Nobody knew that the elves composed beautiful arrangements and made up beds nice and white and clean. One day, twelve ravens weep twelve words that slander the king's beliefs. The elves, complete as handsome princesses, were pleased that everything turned out so well. The Death of Joy He wasn't able to swallow his fear of the bride of dead utterances who buried everyone she lay with. Pity offered to dig the graves. Sweet Times The daughter of hate coveted the bed that overheard everything. After she fell asleep, night crept into her room to hear hearts cry out and see the sun rise one 
magic day at a time. The daughter of no one found no one. Here I am. I'm in bed. She realized that deceit followed her home, that it was all in vain. At daybreak, her heart crawled to the edge of compulsion. Free, she arranged her own wedding. Someone will come along. By noon, when no one came, she threw on three white flowers and married herself. Her sorrow came to an end. Her refusal. Her ear refused to hear all but a dog bark, a fire burn, a stick shake, the waterfall, the burn snap, a savant calculate. Refused to hear the man's wants, his wants, his wants, his wants. Crawling into light. In the realm of excluded virtues, beauty was not invited to the celebration of the dead. Banned, beautiful, and alone, he took a great liking to old men and courtly retinues who clung tight, then died. He believed a gorgeous princess was sleeping inside him, and when he came to the edge of nothing, a separate path reached out and kissed his quiet breath. Finally, beauty celebrates. The consent of fear. One sad promise to tell a little white lie led him down the road of deceit. At the end of the week, he sighed. If only I had been the right bridegroom, learn to cook and sew and please. What a disaster to come for me, seven years between lost and saved. Fodder. Lord, which is the way to the self? Not finding it, she turned her back on God and went to live in the eternal kingdom of discovery, where she loved everything and beauty could be found anywhere. She fell desperately in love with consequence and decided to marry good fortune's clever bride, splendid in her shabby gray gown and rain-wet bonnet. That was Kathy Borry, 
reading from her second book, The Origin of Other, a grim of poems. I almost didn't want to speak for fear of breaking the spell Kathy Borry has just cast with her reading. As you heard in the interview at the beginning of this program, poet Kathy Borry dared to sculpt all 156 grim fairy tales into a magical mix of women awakening to their full potential. Lord, one of them asks, which is the way to the self? I trust you listeners, women and men alike, delighted as we did in hearing the reversal of fortunes and the writer's pure pleasure working with the raw materiality of words. I'm Ingrid Rose, very happy to have been your host for this Writer's Radio episode. Much appreciation to our music maker and editor, Gary Sill, and to our co-producer, Carol Harmon. You've been listening to Writers Radio, broadcasting the beautiful, fanciful, and engaging work of talented writers from our neighborhood and yours. Be sure to check the website, writersradio.ca, to subscribe to our notifications list. Thanks for listening. <laughs>